God's doing something in South Africa. God's doing something in our nation. Um, I'm expectant. I'm excited to see what God's going to do. I want to just say this. I'm going to, I'm going to, you don't have to put the graphic up yet. Sorry. Don't, don't tell them. Um, I want to just say a few things before I jump into the, the sermon today. Um, just as I was praying last night and preparing my heart while everyone was watching rugby. I'm teasing. Um, we really need to know who we are in Christ and who Christ is in us. The moment we lose sight of that, we'll get stuck in the routines and the, the, the mundane, mediocre routine of Sundays where we, are, we come to church and it's like, you know, life is pretty tough and there's things going on and if, you know, I've got a lot of things to think about, a lot of decisions to make and I'm really glad that I get to come to a gathering on a Sunday and be with people who love Jesus and hopefully the pastor gives me an encouraging word and it was great to sing some songs about how great Jesus is and I hope he shows me that goodness and greatness with my situation on Tuesday and, um, and, and we come with this blase attitude but the reality is if we know who Christ is in us and if we know who we are in Christ, something begins to shift on the inside of you, something begins to change in your perspective. You become a walking demonstration of the heart and nature and power of God. We are not in the business of filling rooms. We're after seeing people filled with God. And so this morning, I want to encourage you and just say, this really is not about um, a, a nice, neat, high-five, good Sunday service. This morning, there's an invitation from the Lord to say, will you see what I see? Because if you'll begin to see what I see, if you'll receive me for who I am, when you leave this place, you are carrying the dunamis power of the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. See, if that's not true, I'm out. I have no desire to play Christianity. But the reality is it is true. And we've seen it. In fact, can I ask you a big favor? I sent a, a thing earlier. I want to share that testimony. It's an x-ray thing. I want to sh share a cool testimony just now. But if we don't believe that the dunamis power of the Holy Spirit because of what Jesus has done is inside of us, then our hope is weak. We have to be a people of supernatural hope. I have, I have the kind of hope that raises Jesus from the dead. I have the kind of hope in a Savior and in a King who takes upon the sin of the world, past, present, and future upon Himself, but not only that, exchanges His righteousness with me so I can be like Him. It is, it is a hope that should absolutely offend and astound our logical mind because it is illogical. It's crazy. It's a supernatural gospel. It's a supernatural reality. It's a supernatural relationship with God. My relationship with God is supernatural. I should not have it, but I have it. So my hope and my expectancy and what stirs in my heart is that I am a part of something that is out of this world. It's the dream of God. It's the story of God. I need to learn, and I'm saying this to you. I need it. You need it. We have to learn how to preach the gospel to our souls. More than ever before, you need to know how to wake up on Tuesday morning and preach the gospel to yourself so that you are a supercharged, dynamic powerhouse for the kingdom. Not because you have it all together, not because you're, you're able and strong and wise. No, you actually have nothing, but the all-sufficiency of Jesus is in you. Everything that you need that pertains to life and godliness, He's given you. It's in you. Amen? Okay, well, I'm excited about that. I want to share this cool testimony. Can you chuck it up there? So I, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was in uh, Potchefstroom, 
and they asked me to teach on healing. So I spoke on healing, and what I really felt the Lord say was this, teach people that they don't need the man of God, they just need faith. So we went after it, and we taught it, and we preached, listen, it's Jesus. Jesus is the healer. He's the one. You don't need people laying hands on you. You need to believe. Only believe, and you'll begin to see the supernatural power of God. 9th of October, uh, this lady who was at the meeting, her son has these problems with his back. He's in pain, and his, his mobility is messed up. He goes in for an x-ray on the 9th of October. That's his spine. And so they start to, they're concerned about it. I'm not in the medical thing. If you are, you can tell me about it later. Um, but point is, they began to say, okay, you need to come in tomorrow. We're going to do more scans and, uh, or x-rays, and we're going to design a brace for him, and it's going to be a long process. But, you know, anyway, they were figuring out the whole thing. So she takes him home, knowing they have to go back to the hospital the next day. And she's kind of worried, and she's panicking. His name is Caleb. Uh, it's a little boy. And, uh, and then she remembers this preach from some bald-headed guy from Joburg who said, believe. And so what she does is, that night, while her boy is sleeping, like a, like a powerhouse Christian mama, she's shundying over her, over her boy. She's prophesying over him, healing and praying for him, and he's just sleeping there, and she's going for it. Next day, 10th. This was the 9th of October. That's the 10th of October. They go in for x-rays. His spine is completely straight. No, no prophet so-and-so, apostle so-and-so, super apostle Connor. No, none of those people. Faith. Why? This is for you. The gospel's for you. The supernatural's for you. You are called to lay your hands on the sick and see them recover. You are called to make disciples. Do you know that my job is not to do that thing and you pay me to do it? My job's not the Great Commission and you, you hired me to do that for you. You are not attending a church that does the Christian thing so that you can high-five Jesus one day. I will stand before Jesus and be accountable for my obedience to Him, not yours. I'm not accountable for your life, but I am accountable for what you received and heard, that you heard the true gospel, the pure message of the grace of God that transforms our lives and makes us like Him. So here's what I'm saying to you. You're born for this. You're born to carry the dunamis power of the Holy Spirit and to release it on the earth. It looks like healing. It looks like raising the dead, cleansing lepers, casting out demons. We're the ones who, like Jesus, touch lepers when no one will. This is what was lacking in the church during COVID. And, I mean, we got some hectic... We prayed for people who got healed of COVID, and then I had family members who passed away of COVID. And I had people accuse us when we would say stuff like this in the middle of COVID. They would come and say, you, don't, you have no love for people. You don't care about people. You actually want to kill them. You want to hold meetings and pray for the sick and touch each other while there's COVID going on. And I was, this was Christians. This was, this was Christians saying this stuff. Can you see where we, we lost the gospel? The church lost a hold of the mandate that we carry. I'm in the mood to smash things today. Let's go for it. But this should encourage your heart. See, here's the thing. I don't want to be somebody who sits in church and we talk the talk, we tell the stories of what happened thousands of years ago, or we even tell other people's stories, but I've never got a story to tell myself. I don't want to be that. I don't want you to be that. I don't want, I don't want it to be easy to attend 24-7 church and not be radically transformed by the gospel. I don't want it to be easy to be comfortable, come to church, and it's like, yeah, it's nice to attend 24-7. They've got great worship and a crazy, bald pastor who does crazy things. That's not it. Here's the thing. We want people to come to this house 
encounter and see Jesus face to face. Before anything else, we need you to see him. And when you see him and you receive him, something happens on the inside of you. You'll never be the same again. We are after something as a house that we're cultivating, we're learning. As leaders, honestly, my commitment to you is this. I'm going to disappoint you. I'm going to fail you. Uh, people will want to have coffees with me, and I'll be too busy, and I'm so sorry. And so the reality is that's going to happen, but I, you're not in this house for me or for any other leader or any other personality. You're in this house because God placed you here, because he's building his church. He loves you, and actually he's knitted us together by the Spirit to be a people for his own possession. And so, so the thing is, when you come to 24-7, the leadership of Jesus, that's what we're after. As, as, a, as leaders in this house, we commit to that, to following his voice, which means I'm learning just like you're learning. Which means when we face things, the earth is changing, it's collapsing, a bunch of stuff is happening, we knew it was going to come. It's all happening. Our job now is to make sure we're submitted to the voice of Jesus, submitted to the leadership of Jesus, listening. The church that's going to walk in power in this hour is not an opinionated one, they're a listening one. You need to listen to, last week I explained our response to the crisis that's happening in the Middle East because everyone's freaking out about it and it's devastating and painful and horrible to see. But we shared our response. Our response is not one of opinions. Our response is one of mercy, grace, and seeing the demonstration of the gospel. Our response is this, the Great Commission. Our response is we need to see regions saved, transformed, and it's not going to happen because of social media posts and opinions. It's going to happen because of a people who are filled with God. Amen. Wait, wait, wait. I'm still deciding. So I want to finish this until it settles on my heart, then we'll jump in. Every single one of us walked in today knowing one thing. We really need Jesus, and so does our city, so does our nation, so does the nations of the world. We need Jesus, right? Jesus refuses to do anything on the earth apart from his church. He's made a decision. So our pursuit to see the Great Commission fulfilled requires our obedience. It requires our partnership. It requires relationship with him. See, I think it's impossible I believe this with all my heart, that it's impossible to have a relationship with Jesus and not see your lifestyle changed. See, the thing is, the self-nature, the sin nature, what it, what it wants to produce in us is a dependency on our own efforts and on our own attempts rather than a reliance on the all-sufficiency of Jesus. And, and we think that when we shift and just rely on Jesus and we stop trying to play this game of impressing ourselves and everyone else and we just say, hey, I really need Jesus. He's going to do it in me. We think that that means I do nothing. But yet right here in this place of relying on the all-sufficiency of Jesus is where supernatural life and power happens. Can I, can I set you free this morning and say this? The Christian life cannot be lived outside of a supernatural reality. You cannot walk in intimacy with God, be obedient to Him, and do what He's called us to do without a supernatural reality in your heart. The gospel is supernatural by nature. If we have expectations of ourselves or others to be like Christ without the dunamis power of the Holy Spirit, we're, it's, a, it's a lost cause. 
Are you hearing me this morning? In other words, it's easy to look at people and go, hey, you have Jesus on your mouth, but no fruit in your life. And that's, we can look at a lot of Christians and say that. We can look at the church and say those things. And I'm going, that's because we have an expectation that, that we're just going to make decisions and suddenly be right. <laughs> that we're going to actually do it better this time. That no, this time, the church messed it up in COVID, but this time we're going to do it better. No, this time it's okay to have an opinion because we learned from the last one. So this time I have more information. My opinion's more valid. And, and what we're doing is we're just eating from the wrong tree. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it's, we're constantly reaching for attempts to do this ourselves instead of being a people who just get real low, real humble, and real needy for Jesus. I promise you the world does not need an impressive church right now. The world does not need impressive personalities and impressive leaders and impressive teachings and impressive sermons. The world does not need more talk. The world needs power, the demonstration of the heart of God. You with me? Why am I saying all of this? I'm saying this because I can feel in my heart as a, as a shepherd, as a pastor, I can feel in my heart the pull in the church of just how easy it is to settle. And yet the call and the, the invitation from God has come up here. I want to show you. I want, I want to use you. I want to demonstrate my kingdom through you. And so my responsibility as a, as a leader and as a pastor is to keep speaking to our hearts. Anyone who, who trusts us as leaders in, in, in their lives, my responsibility is to speak the truth and say, we're called to more than what we're settling for. Let's not be a people who settle. Let's stand up. Let's arise and shine. Let's lean into Him. Let's let the all-sufficiency of Jesus take us way beyond what we could do in our own strength. Let's be a people so shocked by the supernatural power of God that it makes us happy. Right? I want to be shocked. I want to go like, this is insane that this is happening in my life. This, what, what just happened in my heart, my life, the fruit that's flowing from my life, the flute, the flute, the flute is great. The fruit that's flowing from 24-7 church, it should shock us because it's not us. It's the, it's the presence of God. It's the presence of Jesus that transforms our lives. Amen. Okay. So, smooth transition. Are you ready for it? You can do it. We're going to preach on supernatural finances. Um, I've, been, I've been packing this thing for, for a couple of weeks. And every time I get up to preach it, something else happens and it nearly happened today. But the grace of the Lord, we're going to do it. Um, why, why do I feel to talk about this? We've been really, we, we did our global mission school this year. We've trained up students. We're saying yes to the Great Commission. We're sending 30-something students into the 1040 window, unreached region, North Africa, Eurasia. Uh, we're sending students into the nations. And at the same time, we've got to understand that we are called to bring transformation to our own city and our own country. And Johannesburg is a city where you either come to Joburg because of the call of God or work. Right? Majority of people who are here for work wish they were living in Cape Town. <laughs> yeah. And so, so the reality is this. What's the redemptive purpose of our city? What is the redemptive purpose of Johannesburg, the city of gold? Because one of the biggest things that we're facing is mammon, because we live for work. I want to I give you a, a, an example here. You know, in the Garden of Eden, Adam, when he was operating before the fall, he was tending to the sanctuary of, of 
of heaven, really. Heaven and earth, a place where heaven and earth meet. He was a priest ministering to God. He wasn't a gardener, right? He wasn't doing the garden in Eden. Like, he was ministering to the presence of Jesus. But it's interesting that when they, when they were banished after they had sinned, when they were um, banished or exiled from the garden, he had to work the ground. And that was the first time that man worked for money or worked for a result. And in fact, the moment that you start working for the ground, it starts to kill you. Anyway, that's super deep. So, Joburg, most people are living for money. So, the spirit, the, the principality, whatever you want to call it, over this city is mammon. It's success, money, comfort, fame, status, all that stuff. And if you're not making money, and if your business is not flying, and if, if you don't have the house that has enough security in the right area, if your kids are not in the right school, if you don't have specific cars, if you don't, what it, all this stuff, those are the goals. If you don't have it, you're not up to scratch, you're not up to standard. And so this is the culture we live in. This is the society we live in. This is the mentality we live in. We don't have beautiful beaches and mountains to go and clear our heads. So what we do is we work. And then we buy more stuff and material possessions start to try and satisfy the longing in our heart for more. And so what you see in Joburg people is work hard in Joburg so you can take those two weeks in Cape Town. And it worked for a while, but it's got more intense. And so now what you're seeing is people come back from the two weeks, and within three days, they're as exhausted as they were before they went on holiday. And what we're doing is trying to solve a spiritual problem with an earthly thing. <laughs> so we need to wake up as the church in Joburg and go, hold on, if I am here, and I, I want to speak this over your heart and life. If you are in Joburg you, and you're born again, you are in this city because God placed you here. And the moment you shift that, and trust me, I went through a long journey of really not liking the city and wanting to move. And now I love my city. When I go and minister in other places and fly back in and I look at Joburg at night, something lights up in my heart. And I'll tell you why. Because the redemptive purpose of this city is that God has called Johannesburg to be a sending city. God has called Johannesburg to be a resourcing city. The money's here. The airport's here. It's time. The church in Johannesburg is going to begin to rise up and understand, hold on a second, if God's placed me in this city and in the spheres of influence that I'm in, most of you are in some sort of business or corporate uh, expression, whatever it is, wherever God has placed you, I am here because I've said yes to the Great Commission and God has placed me in a city that's called to resource and send. And it's not just finances. Finances is just one expression. My whole life, I'm here to make disciples of my city. I'm here to see my city transformed. I'm, I'm here to be the ones, like in Acts, when Paul comes over and they describe them, and go, hey, those who are turning the world upside down, they've come here too. Well, the church in Joburg is going to get a reputation. Those who turn Joburg upside down, they're actually sending people to other places too. And the moment, the moment that that dream is too unrealistic in your head, you've stopped dreaming with God. Because Paul would be in Jerusalem thinking about Spain. <laughs> he was sitting in Jerusalem seeing God do things in Jerusalem or Antioch, seeing things happen in Antioch or Ephesus or Corinth. And he's seeing God turn cities upside down and his, his mindset and his, his mentality is, I'm thinking about the ends of the earth because everything that we're doing is going to continue to advance from here to the ends of the earth, from my city to the ends of the earth, from Johannesburg to the Middle East. So finances is vital in terms of our perspective and how we see it in the local church in Johannesburg because it's probably our weakest point. 
That spirit of mammon wants to dictate to you, speak to you, and it's screaming at you every single day. It's trying to get your attention. And it has its rights in this city because everybody's living for it. They're worshiping it. Hello? So mammon gets exalted in Johannesburg, and the church's responsibility is to be a living expression that doesn't bow to mammon, but bows to the lordship of Jesus Christ and lives a supernatural life in the midst of a money-driven society. Where we don't work for money, but money is a tool that's beginning to advance and establish the kingdom of heaven. You get it? So I want to, I want to talk about three areas in, in finances. I've called it supernatural finances because here's the thing. The gospel doesn't shy away from transforming your financial situation. The gospel doesn't shy away from transforming your perspective on finances. Some of you have very little finances, and God wants to trust, trust you with much. Some of you have much, and God wants to strip you and see what you do with little. And both of those things, success. Your Christianity is not measured by your prosperity. Let me tell you why. If, if your Christianity is measured by how much money and material possessions you have because of the abundance of God in your life, what about the guy who sells everything to go minister to the township and live there and, and God's called him faithfully to just love the poor? Is his Christianity less because he didn't walk in material abundance? Do you know what the word blessing is if you study the word blessing? It actually means the reality of heaven on the earth. That's what it means. To walk in blessing means what I have in heaven, I have on earth. What I have in heaven is the eternal reward of who God is. I will not be thinking about houses, cars, and what, I, what material possessions I have. I just want, it won't even be in my thinking. If whatever I need, I'll have. So look at Jesus. Jesus comes to the earth. He is the king of kings. He has everything. All of the riches of heaven are his. He can do whatever he wants. He could be the most wealthy man on earth if he wants to. Yet he didn't own a house. Yet he's walking around and whatever he needed, he had access to, but he was living for something that was not tied to material possessions or this earth. He wasn't trying to be impressive. He had no desire to be impressive. In fact, he was unimpressive. He was the one who came to serve and love. He took the low place. He stewarded well. He was a blessing everywhere that he went. Jesus is the model, not Abraham. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm jumping ahead of myself. Everyone okay? Deep breaths. I'm talking about money. You ready? It's good. And here's the thing. You can disagree with me. It's okay. You can disagree with me. When you get to heaven, you'll find out I'm right. It's okay. <laughs> I'm teasing. You can disagree with me. That's okay. But here's the thing. When I read my Bible, show me. Show me one person filled with the Holy Spirit in the pursuit of material possessions. Why? It has... There's no desire in me for it. I have everything I need. I'm sustained by him. He's become my reward. So, here, so this is what's beautiful. He can trust me with abundance because it can't, it can't attach itself to my identity. But he also knows that if, if there's a situation, circumstance that he, he puts me in where there isn't material abundance, I'm not shaken. 
I have everything I need, and whatever I need to do what he's called me to do here, I get. You know the scripture out of Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? Do you know what that scripture is in the context of? Money. Paul, right before that, he says, I know what it's like to have abundance. I know what it's like to have lack. But I can do all things. I found the secret to facing life. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What is he saying? He's saying, if I get tied to, to this realm, if I get tied to material possession, how am I any different to an unbeliever? I'm a supernatural person. I'm a supernatural being. I expect supernatural solutions to happen. I expect for supernatural provision. You get this? I would rather preach it strong like this and it confront us with how far we are from that reality and go, Jesus, I need to actually come into a place of faith and believe what you say about me. Rather than us pretend it's easier to actually live like an unbeliever and attach the gospel to my life and give it a high five every Sunday. And, and, and live the Jesus Incorporated experience. I like to include Jesus into my life, but the reality is, it's quite, it's quite radical, that stuff, the, the gospel. Like the way that we're called to live, it's quite radical. It's, it's easier to actually live here where I have control. Yes, it's hard and it's tiring, but at least I have control. I promise you, the fundamental, or let me say it like this, the foundations of our Christianity starts with this. When you were born again, you gave up control. You are not Lord of your life. He is Lord of your life. Okay. Amen. So, I want to I hit a few things. In Genesis chapter 14, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. In Genesis chapter 14, it's really interesting. We see this epic, it should be a movie, someone needs to make this movie. Genesis 14, it's called the Battle of the Kings. And long story short, you need to go read the whole chapter, but there's four kings from the east and, and five other kings, and they, they're in this war and they're fighting. And in this battle between the kings and these kingdoms, Abraham's family member, Lot, gets kidnapped. Okay? Everyone with me? Abraham's family member gets, gets kidnapped. And so Abraham's up in the mountains. He's, he's not just a slouch. Like, he's pretty established. He's a, he's a relatively wealthy guy already. And uh, because he can pull together an army of 318 men overnight. So he must have access to resources, right? But he's up in the mountains. Uh, messengers come to him and say, hey, Lot has been kidnapped. And so he gathers together 318 soldiers, uh, guerrilla warfare mates. He rallies the boys together. And off they go to go and fetch Lot. And it's incredible because this is a tiny little army of 318 people. There is no ways that they should be successful. So we're introduced already to this concept that God can take his people and do supernatural things with them. Okay? That's just for free. <clears throat> so he goes, he goes in and there's a night raid. They get Lot back. And, uh, and then there's this interesting thing that happens where um, he's leaving. And it's, <clears throat> this all happens in about two verses. But he obviously leaves. It must have taken weeks because it was up towards Damascus. And then he's walking down. And, and then we see this thing happen in the Valley of the King, which is just south of Jerusalem. And, and he gets there, and the king of Sodom comes to speak to him, and somebody else, this other character, his name is Melchizedek, okay? And so we're introduced to this guy called Melchizedek, and he's a, he's a contradiction, and he's really confusing, and he's a mystery because he's the king of Salem, which Salem, Shalem, it's basically the second half of Jerusalem, so it's Jerusalem pre-Israel, okay? We don't know what that was like, we don't know what, what, what happened, but there was Jerusalem before the nation of Israel. 
And so Melchizedek is named, he's the king of Salem, the king of Jerusalem, but he's also a high priest unto God, which is impossible because that shouldn't happen. But also what's really confusing is that he is not of the lineage of Adam. He's a Canaanite. So we see this character, Melchizedek, he gets introduced and he comes out to Abraham with bread and wine. Interesting. <laughs> so, Melchizedek means this, king of righteousness. Interesting. <laughs> and in Hebrews 7, we're going to go there just now, it says that we don't know the beginning of his days, we don't know the end of his days, and he, and he was of the likeness of the Son of God. It's the first time in the Bible we hear the word priest. Melchizedek was a priest. And it's the first time in the Bible that tithing is mentioned. There is no law, there is no obligation, there's no giving under compulsion, there's no like, hey, this is the right response to when a guy comes down from a mountain and gives you bread and wine. <laughs> what we see here is Melchizedek comes down, king of righteousness, king of Jerusalem, also high priest of God. This should be stirring questions in your head. No one knows where he's from and no one ever found out how he died. There's no historical evidence of this guy. <laughs> I hope you're asking the question. I'm asking it. This is how I read my Bible. It's just it's the mystery of God. It's like, wow. But he comes with bread and wine. Bread and wine. Bread and wine. Questions. And he blesses Abraham. That's it. And Abraham goes, I'm going to take a tenth of everything I have. A tithe. Tithe means tenth. Right? Tithe doesn't mean give. Tithe means tenth. You don't tithe to the guy on the street when you give him 20 bucks. Amen? <laughs> tithe means 10%. So he takes 10% of everything that he has and he gives it to Melchizedek. So our introduction to this concept called tithing has nothing to do with the law. Nobody forced Abraham to do it and it wasn't based on whether he would be blessed or not. He was already blessed. Hello. You see this? Melchizedek blesses him, and Abraham responds with an act of submission and lordship. Somehow, I don't know this, and I'm, I'm not going to teach this as, as theology. I'm just going to throw it out there for you to go study. Somehow, Melchizedek understood Eden and what Adam used to do in Eden, Eden without being of the lineage of Adam and Eve. He was a Canaanite. He didn't come from Adam's children, but he understood the king-priest thing that Adam was walking in from the garden. Some of this some of it's going over your head. That's okay. Some of it's landing on some of you going like, whoa. Could he be? Maybe. In Hebrews 7, you can just read this in verse 5 to 11. It says that the priesthood that Jesus actually introduced on the earth was not of the, the lineage of the Levites, or the order of the Levites, sorry, but of the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek appears in one chapter, Genesis 14. King of righteousness, king of Salem, which means peace, and high priest unto God. He blesses Abraham, brings bread and wine, and then vanishes. No one ever hears anything of him again. 
And then in Hebrews 7, the writer of Hebrews is now referring to that story. And he says, we don't know his beginning. We don't know his end. His name means king of righteousness. And the priesthood that Jesus has now established is not of the Levite's order. It's of Melchizedek's order. I'm so tempted to, but uh, I'm just trying to throw, you need to go study, okay? Who is Melchizedek? Just saying. But tithing is this, the first time we're introduced and we have to remember the first time something is mentioned in the Bible, it's its purest form. So the first time the principle of the tithe is mentioned is actually Abraham's response to encounter. Abraham is coming with his guys. They just raided armies like three times as many men and they, they managed to get Lot out of there. And so they've come back and they've walked weeks from where, somewhere in Damascus area down to the south of Jerusalem. They've walked weeks. They're tired. They're weary. And king of righteousness comes down from the mountain, Jerusalem mountain, and gives them bread and wine and feasts with them and says, I bless you. And you can read that blessing in Genesis 14. I'll get there. He blesses Abraham. This is, I'm trying to explain the heart of God to you. This is God's heart. I don't expect anything from you. I love you. I didn't create you to earn anything. I didn't create you to achieve anything. I love you. You're blessed. What does blessing mean? I want you to be in a heavenly reality on the earth. That's what blessing means. So, so Melchizedek is this representation of the heart of God and he's going, hey Abraham, I want to remind you. I like you. I love you. You're blessed. You're going to be a blessing to the nations. Abraham's done nothing. Nothing to achieve it, nothing to earn it. He's just saved his family member. So, can I dare say this? Tithing is a heart matter, not a law matter. It's just because it was included in the law, so was a lot of other things that are really good things. The standard of righteousness, like tithing is a righteous thing. It's a righteous thing. It's not, a, it's not a, a legalistic requirement because of what Jesus has done, but it's the way of the righteous. Because Abraham, God says to Abraham, you're righteous. Abraham says, thank you. And God, and God says, that's all it takes. I, just, I preached the gospel to you. I said, you're righteous because I call you righteous. Abraham says, thank you, and that's it. In fact, in, in, I think it's um, Galatians or Romans, where it says, Abraham believed God, it was accredited, accredited to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God, and because he believed God, God said, righteous. So the way of the righteous is because there's this trust and this confidence that if God blesses me and he loves me and he likes me, <laughs> I'm not afraid of lack. When I, when I see lack, it doesn't intimidate me or scare me. Okay. So tithing, it's a heart matter, not a law matter. It's a response to the lordship and leadership of Jesus. If Melchizedek is at least a representation of Jesus, then tithing, the first time it's mentioned, is Abraham's response, his heart response, to the lordship and leadership of Christ. I'm, just stay with me. I'm going somewhere. It's an expression, not a transaction. 
Okay, I'm going to set you free this morning. Tithing does not make you blessed. You do not have to give 10% to 24-7 church so that you can walk in the blessing of God. <laughs> you are blessed. You're blessed. <laughs> your blessing or your, your heavenly reality is not tied to whether you give 10% or not. So what is it then? Why? What, what is this 10% thing? Why did God... What, what happened in Abraham's heart? I, you know, we always go like, no, it's God gave us tithing as a tool to keep us free. I don't even see it like that. I'm going, I think tithing is just the bare minimum response of someone who's seen Jesus. Hello? Like Abraham just goes, man, I'm tired and weary and king of righteousness just came down from a mountain and gave me bread and wine. I like him. Abraham's response to an encounter was well, 10% of everything I have is, is yours. And so we, we're introduced to this, and suddenly we begin to see that this becomes the way of the people of God. And again, here's where I want to go. The first time tithing is mentioned, it's connected to the priestly ministry, Melchizedek. Then it's in, incorporated into the law. Why? Because of the temple. And so Israel was used by God to introduce priestly life, the priestly ministry to the earth. So now we see the temple, we see that the Levites are actually set apart and consecrated to minister unto God, and the tithe takes care of the Levites to make sure that they do that. And so we're starting to see this pattern unfold, right? The law was given to show us our need for Jesus, and, and it was outworked in Israel to teach us a pattern. Okay, let me say it like this. Tithing builds confidence in God's provision. It's a doorway into a supernatural realm of faith in the matter of provision. Ten percent bites you. And this is why I, I kind of like to stir up stuff a little bit. So don't you think it's just so cool that it's 10%, not 2%? Because 2% would be like, nobody cares about 2%. 10% is enough for you. You're like, ah. That one really makes me submit. That one's like, ooh. It's, it really, it just, it hits you right where it matters, where it's like, I could have used that for... KFC every weekend. My point is this. It's a priestly thing. Can you just, all I'm, all I'm trying to do today is this. Take the, 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 the pressure, the compulsion, the, the, the heavy weight of that word tithing. Take it off today. Just take it off. And see it like this. Priests tithe. Priestly people tithe. In the new covenant, priestly people tithe. Because what happened with the, under the law was that we, they tithed to make sure that the Levites could continue the priestly thing. But Abraham was getting involved in the priestly ministry under Melchizedek's order, <laughs> which we've come into in the new covenant in its fullness because of Christ. It's a priestly thing. It's how your finances become worship. And it's just part of it. I'm, I'm not finished, but just hear me. It's priestly. Can you see this? 
So I can make this statement with absolute confidence today. Tithing is not under compulsion, it's out of submission. Tithing is a statement of lordship. Now, there's these principles, you know, I know I've, I've heard all the prosperity teachers, it's like, well, if you are not tithing, you haven't protected your income. Oh, Lord, have mercy. No, seriously, I'm just going to smash it today. I've heard this teaching. Your tithe is like how you sanctify your entire income and actually protect it from the Lord. Garbage. Where? Show, just please show me. Because what you're saying is, I have to give God his 10 so that he can protect my 90. That's not lordship. That's still ownership. That's still, oh, okay, so the, how this transaction works is I give you 10 so that I can be owner of 90. And what it produces is the Father Christmas spirit. That's the, that's exactly, right? You should preach this, right? <laughs> but this is the thing, listen. What it produces is the Father Christmas spirit. I gave my tithe, I'm doing my part, and I feel really good about it because I'm pretty generous. 10% bites, I'm a giver. You get it? We're impressed by our 10%. But we actually haven't even started giving yet. We, just, we were just worshiping. Do you get it? Just stay, stay with me. I promise you I'm going somewhere in five to ten minutes. So I believe this. I believe, you know, we say tithes and offerings. And, and so I believe your tithe, it's a worship thing. It's a lordship thing. It's a submission thing to him, right? It's not giving. It's worship. Okay. I want to simplify money for you. I'm going to, I'm, there's just, the, money does two things in the kingdom. Submission and worship, the tithe. Giving and generosity, the Great Commission. <sighs> Giving a financial offering in the kingdom of God is directly connected to the Great Commission. Tithing's for the heart and the house. Giving is for the Great Commission. So what is generosity? It's a life free from mammon. Okay, Acts 4, 32 to 37. I'm just throwing some references here. It describes the church after the Holy Spirit has been poured out. I love this. I, I'm actually making some people angry. Are you okay? Everyone okay? Awesome. Yay. Good, good, good. It doesn't rock me. It excites me because the gospel makes me angry sometimes and then I get free. <laughs> Acts 4, 32-37 describes the church. Isn't this interesting? The oneness and unity of the church was primarily seen in the way the church stewarded money and material possessions. The oneness. The expression, how people saw the oneness was primarily seen through actually how the church stewarded money and material possessions. It's why, here's, here's, you want to know radical? This is radical. They sold their stuff. Firstly, they shared it. Everything they had, they called common. So it was like, if I have this, you have this. That's wild. That'll, that'll just absolutely turn Joburg upside down. But then secondly, 
They sold their, their assets and their land or whatever, and they took the proceeds, laid it at the apostles' feet. This isn't wild. And then they made sure that there was no needy one among them, and it was distributed as anyone had need. Man, that's radical. Are you seeing that? That's wild. So their, their expression of oneness, Christ's leadership in the church, actually was seen primarily through stewardship of finances and resources. Maybe let me use that word, resources. In, in Acts 4, we also see that Barnabas, the first time we see Barnabas, sells a field and he lays the proceeds at the apostles' feet because of the need of, what, of the advancement of the gospel, because of what's happening to the church in Jerusalem. It's expanding. So Barnabas is given to the Great Commission and it's seen in how he stewarded finances. And Barnabas' yes in stewarding finances prepared his heart to say yes to the transformation of cities in Acts 11 and Acts 13. Barnabas' journey in Acts 11 of being able to father a movement of God in a city called Antioch that was turned upside down by the gospel, where that journey started in his heart was his yes maybe 10 years earlier in selling a field and laying the, the proceeds at the apostles' feet. Because you know what? See, it, it's not just selling the field. Selling the field is, we can all do that. That's, that the, even Father Christmas can do that. Lay it at the apostles' feet. Flip. <laughs> I just said that in church. No, because it bites. It's like, what? You're saying that... I actually relinquish control. Here's what's interesting about how it's all towards the Great Commission. In Romans 15, 24, Paul writes, he's writing to the church in Rome, and he's actually saying to them, um, I, I, I want to go to Spain, and I'm, I'm, I'm coming past you guys on my way to Spain, and I'm confident that you'll help me on my way. If you just read this, it's like, in other words, Paul's like, I'm, I'm heading to Spain for the advancement of the gospel, and I'm confident that because you're the church, you'll send me on my way. You're actually going to partner with me in this thing. So it was normal in the mentality of the church that finances, our resources as a church, were going towards the advancement of the Great Commission. Here's where it's gone wrong. We don't trust the church anymore, and in a lot of cases, rightfully so. You with me? Because we have seen abuse, misrepresentation, and not just bad stewardship, failed stewardship. We have seen pastors get rich, and we've seen people, unreached people groups increase. Right? Now, just because we've seen that doesn't mean God changes what He wants to do and how He does things. What it means is we need to repent. Are you with me? So the invitation for the church when it comes to money is repentance. As, as leaders in the house, we stay before the Lord and go, God, we have to stay in that place of repentance because we do not want to perpetuate an ungodly, unbiblical way in which finances have been stewarded in the church. We want to see, I am, okay, let me say this. My passion is not pastoring. In fact, I need grace to pastor. My passion is Jesus, and honestly, my passion is the Great Commission. So if we as a people find our passion 
in the dream of God and the purposes of God, we will steward it well on a local level. It's only when my passion becomes my place in the local expression that I'm, I'm open to mishandling or misusing the finances of God. Not just me as a leader, I'm talking, I'm talking us. This is why we've got people going, hey, I'd like to give this massive amount of money to the church. However, here's the, the strings attached. I'm deciding where it goes. That's called the Father Christmas Spirit. In Matthew 6, 24, we see the scripture where Jesus says, um, there's only two masters. Isn't this crazy, guys? Sorry, I, I, I'm hitting this today because in my Bible it says there's only two masters, God and mammon. Doesn't say the devil. Doesn't say the governments and kings of the earth. It doesn't say any of that stuff. It says God and mammon. You'll either love the one and hate the other or despise the one. Like, if you read the scripture, you go, the, the primary opposition to the lordship of Jesus on the earth is mammon. It might be a good thing for us as the church to learn how to deal with this thing. The definition of mammon out of the Amplified Bible, I like it, it's this, money, possessions, fame, status, anything valued more than God. <laughs> that's pretty broad, but that's great. See, if we as the church carry a mandate to be priests unto God who serve His house and obey the Great Commission, then when it comes to our money, in the same way we're learning how to steward our lives in worship, we should be learning how to steward our finances. Right? And it doesn't matter whether you are incredibly wealthy or whether you are just making ends meet. Because I look at, uh, what is it, Mark... Mark 12, with the widow's might, Jesus, he's watching them take up the offering. This is insane. Jesus goes to the temple and he, he takes a seat to watch them take up the offering. Like he's watching everybody put the offering in the basket. Can you? Where, where's the basket? Like, that's like me going. It's insane. And then he says something really profound because he sees this widow who puts two mites in. And then he says, she gave more than everybody else, even the wealthy ones. Why? Because she gave beyond her means. So, so Jesus, this is not about material abundance and, and, and wealth. It's not. It's heart. Jesus is after a priestly people that want to minister to him. Jesus is after a priestly people that want to co-labor with him. So, so the tithe is this priestly response that we're seeing. It's people who get caught up in the lordship of Jesus. They're submitted to him, and their response is this, this act of lordship, this act of defiance against mammon. This is the, this overflow of their life. But then they're living not as if, well, I gave my ten, so there's the nineteen. No, the whole thing was his in the first place. It's all his. I'm just, I'm just stewarding what God's given me. I'm not an owner on the earth. I'm not an owner on the earth. Joe Burke, I speak to you. You are not owners. It is, it is arrogance at the highest order to think I have what I have because I'm impressive. You don't know how hard I've worked to build this empire. You don't know. 
If you're that person here today, I ask you to do one thing with me. Come with me on one mission trip. One. Because I've sat with Syrian refugees who have PhDs, masters of psychology and all these different things and lived wealthy lives before the war. Now they iron linen 13 hours a day just to make ends meet and they are burning with the gospel. And if you say to them like, well, what do you, like, it's not even in the conversation how much they miss what they used to have. It's just not there. In fact, the joy that they carry, the life that they carry, it's why I'm saying to you, we live in such a, a, a closed off little world in our society here in Joburg where we think money really is the main thing. It's not. If you are working for money, let Jesus set you free today. Because you see, what I'm saying today, what happens is we become this kind of church. My primary focus in life is to follow Jesus and to demonstrate his heart on the earth. And Jesus can put me anywhere and I'll be a faithful steward. And so if he decides to put me in that corporate company in that really difficult space, that really difficult environment, but there also happens to be a lot of money, guess what? I'm going to be a faithful steward in that place because my heart is not tied to this earthly realm. It's given to him. And so you will see it through the fruit of my life. You will see it because the fruit of my life is lordship and submission. And it's the joy of following Jesus. It's the joy of living in generosity, which is not just giving. Giving and generosity are different things. You can give and still be a servant of mammon. You're not impressive because you give. Generosity is not giving. Generosity is a life free from mammon. It's the guy who can make millions today and give it all away tomorrow and I'm still faithfully following Jesus. Nothing shakes me. I'm not, I'm not tied to this realm. I'm a supernatural person filled with the dunamis power of the Holy Spirit. We need to see it in our financial world as well. And I want to say this. You can be incredibly skilled with finances and, and have all the skills to make lots of money. It doesn't make you an impressive Christian. You can build the empire. You can, you can even be giving into charities and donations. You can even be tithing and giving to the church and your heart can still not know Jesus. Because there is a whole movement even now in the church where people are tithing out of fear. Because I've been taught, if I don't tithe, I'm not blessed. If I don't tithe, my income's not protected. If I don't tithe, you get it? And the thing is, God's not, He doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. But here's the thing, money's fighting for your heart. Mammon is warring for the throne of your heart. And so tithing is this defiant declaration to the spirit of mammon, saying, I choose a supernatural realm of provision. And here's the thing about that supernatural realm of provision. I'm not in control. Which means, yes, I have to get to this place of dealing with my heart where when it doesn't happen the way I thought it was going to happen, what do I do with that? It's called faith. But I refuse to put my hands in the hands of the enemy or of this world. I'm sorry, I refuse to put uh, my resources in the hands of this world rather than in the hands of God. Because the king of, of Sodom comes to Abraham in Genesis 14 and he says, um, you can take all the stuff, just give me the people. And Abraham says this powerful thing. Uh, you can read it. He says, I've declared, I've, I've made a, a promise to the, the Lord of, of heaven and earth that I will not take a single thing from you lest you say you made me rich. 
Ah, Abraham is saying this. I don't want to be wealthy in your eyes. You know, the, uh, the prosperity gospel, and listen, I, I believe in prosperity. I just believe it must be submitted to the Lordship of Jesus in obedience to the Great Commission. Okay? If you need a statement, there it is. But here's the thing. In the, in the twisted prosperity teachings that are out there, everybody's using Abraham as well as the Abraham thing. You know, Abraham was blessed. Abraham was wealthy. Abraham was, yeah. Awesome. Take your son up a mountain and kill him. Take your promise up a mountain and kill your promise. Because that's Abraham. Abraham could be trusted with much because he actually crucified everything he owned, his promise, everything he had. He said, God, I want you even more than I want that. Some of you are sleeping and then you woke up when you heard, take your son and kill him. I'm here, welcome. <laughs> Just think about this for a second. I know, I know I'm, I'm a little bit intense this morning, so forgive me if I've upset you or offended you. It's not my heart. But think about Abraham. He, he is walking in the blessing of God. He asks God for a promise, and he gets it. And then the Lord goes, I just want to see whether you're in this for the promise or whether you actually love me. So here's what I want you to do. Take your promise and go kill it. Give it back to me. And, and we all go like, yeah, but you know, then he provided the ram. Yes, but read the story. The knife went up. God waited for him to tie him up, put him on the fire, on the bry. Like, he waited for him to do all of that. <laughs> and then, not only that, it wasn't like, he's, he's on the bry, Lord. The, I'm about to light the firelight is, hello, Jesus. No, he took the knife. And he's, as a father... A dad with his promise. And he's going, you asked me to do this. I don't understand this. This makes no sense. Like, you're not the God who takes away promises, but you, you, I heard the word of the Lord. You told me to do this. And God's saying nothing. No ram yet. The knife is up in the air, and then it happens. Abraham makes the decision. The knife is coming down. Do you get this? God waited for it to happen here. He wasn't just looking for Abraham's act. Lord, I did it. I, I, I loaded the donkey. I took my boy. We went all the way up to the mountain. I even put him on the altar. And then I was waiting for you to come through for me. No, he, he let Abraham take the knife and go, okay, I'm putting it through my son. Here we go, God. I want you. You're my Lord. I don't understand you. I don't understand what you're doing. This makes no sense to me, but I heard you. I'm going to be obedient. This is what I'm doing. And it's when he made the decision of lordship in his heart and he said, you're my Lord. He came down with a knife and God said, hey, Abraham. Because now the Lord went, you really are mine. So let me say this to you. What if we looked at tithing as the knife coming down? <clears throat> We've got people in the church today who use finances as a way to hide. They use giving as a way to hide. They're hiding the reality that they do not have Christ in their hearts. 
because it's easy to come sit in the church, give, be impressive with my money. I don't serve, I, I, I won't choose the lowly things. I just use my money to impress. And what I do is I use my money to keep distance so that nobody actually knows my heart. And this is, this is the evidence of somebody serving mammon. In the church, you're going to see this. In the church, you see it now. And it can be impressive because what that produces is a bunch of people that are acting, that are, they seem impressive, there's a lot of money, there's a lot of show, it's all there, but the reality is their heart is not submitted to the Lordship of Jesus. Let me tell you why. Because I'll walk up to that person, look them in the eye and say, give me everything now. <laughs> I can hear it in the spirit. Connor, you're such an extremist. Like, why would you do that? Why would, why would, why, who would go and ask for everything? Let me, let me tell you who. Christ. He is asking for everything. <laughs> he gave everything and he wants everything. So this is, you know, you hear in the, the financial teachings, we want to be rivers, not dams. Dams are the ones where we have the gates and we open a little bit, a little bit of water, a little bit of water, a little bit of water. Like, that's not what we're called to be. We're called to be rivers. 100%. But here's the thing. The river doesn't decide where the river goes. <laughs> and also, a river's not a river without riverbanks. And if you don't have riverbanks, you become a stinking marsh of stagnant water. <clears throat> so the lordship of Jesus keeps our lives anchored in our purpose of knowing him and following him. So can you, if I can just give you this tool and say today, just, just take your finances and do this. Two things. Number one, my priestly response to Jesus is why I tithe. Why, do I, why am I generous and give? Because my life is obedient to the Great Commission. It's the same thing I'm going to use two examples here just to, to really drive this home. My, my giving and my generosity is tied to the Great Commission because it's not, if my giving is to give so that people look at me and say, wow, you gave, mammon. Hello, mammon. If my giving is because I want you to know Christ, I want you to know his heart, I want you to know his nature, he cares about, he, about you, he loves you. I want to show you his provision. I want to partner with the heart of God to see your heart reached and touched for Jesus. Even if you're giving the person a need down the street, the, the motivation and the reason for that partnering with God in a financial way, it's the Great Commission. It's making disciples. Even in your finances, you're called to make disciples. And, and the reason why I love this is the same thing with healing. If I, if I go and pray for healing, and, and the reason why I'm praying for healing is so that people can see that I prayed for someone who got healed, that's the self-nature. Because that person walks away experiencing me, not Jesus. But if I'm praying for healing, and the goal of why I'm actually going after releasing healing is I want them to experience the healer. If I'm, if I'm giving because I want them to experience the provider, do you see the principle? It's the Great Commission. This makes our lives so simple. And I'm, I like that. See, I'd rather, in the same way that I expect signs and wonders to follow me, I expect provision to follow me. Because if I'm walking in obedience to Jesus, He said He'd give me everything that I need. Sometimes I think we're calling, we're calling something lack that's actually just God saying you don't need something. Are you, are you hearing what I'm saying? 
So, so we go, I want these things and I've decided I need them. And then God says no and we go, that's poverty. Poverty mentality, it's lack. There's a difference between being minimalist and poverty mentality. To be a minimalist means this. I have all that I need, but I'm staying light so that I can be free and obedient. Poverty mentality is I don't know how to receive when God gives me something. <clears throat> Everyone okay? Ah. I wanna, I'm going to just like, I want to just say this. We all want to live in the supernatural realm of God where we've got the crazy supernatural stories. We just don't want to have the faith to do it. My car that I drive, it's a Kia Sportage 2009. I was one Saturday night praying, saying, Jesus, uh, my wife works full-time in Melrose, so she drives. We have one car. She's driving there every day. And we needed a second car in order for me to do my job. And so we were like, okay, Lord, like we weren't, we're not in pursuit of more cars. It's just that we're trying to find a practical solution. So Jesus, we're just seeking you. And so I started to do the, the human thing, which is look up how do I finance a car? How much is it going to cost? What's going to happen? Looking at all that stuff. And then I heard this whisper in my heart, and the Lord said this to me. He said, will you ask me for a car? So just like, I mean, may as well. Probably should have done that first. So I said, Lord, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust you. I'll trust you for a car. Okay. And I felt the Lord like impressing my heart. Don't chase it. Just trust me. <clears throat> that was Saturday night. Sunday night, I went to go minister at a missions base. And I finished my session. And one of my dear friends who is on that missions base, he says, hey, man, can you come with me to my cabin? So I'm like, um, okay, cool. Uh, we walk up to the cabin. He goes, just hold on one second. It's dark. He runs into the cabin, he comes out, and he's got this set of keys in his hand. And he goes, a week ago, God spoke to me and told me to do something, and I've been praying and fasting this week to make sure that I've heard God. But God told me to tell you, this car is yours. And he takes me up to it, there's this fully valeted Kia Sportage, and he puts the keys in my hand, and I'm like, I'm sorry, I was so flabbergasted, I'm like, I'm sorry, what? And he just said, he said, a week ago, I was talking to Jesus Saturday night, this is Sunday night, Saturday night, I'm going... God, and God's going, will you ask me for a car? But a week before that, he'd already had a conversation with my friend saying, I want you to give this car to him. This is the supernatural realm of God, but no one wants to go there if we don't have faith for it. Do you get it? We, we're quick to settle for what I have control of rather than staying in a place of desperate need of Jesus. So here's the solution to your finances. You need to be very needy of Jesus. Because people who love him, who need him, who are pursuing him, you see it in their life. You see their response. You see lordship is expressed through life. Because the thing is, the thing with finances, I'm nearly done, I promise you. Um, the thing with finances is this. It's just constantly asking you to do what you want to do. It's, it's, it's trying to enable you and empower you to do what you want to do. And the voice that it's speaking to you all the time is like, but that's right. I mean, you worked hard for this. You get it? 
you worked hard for this. You should, you should do that thing. You should, and listen, God's also, the other side of this conversation is God is also really fun. And sometimes he's like, you go buy those freedom of movement shoes. <laughs> you get that new car, that family car, because I want to bless, like God still blesses us. We still need to know how to receive good things. But where is it coming from? What's happening in our hearts? Are you, are you hearing what I'm saying? If you, can, if you can take my whole sermon today, which has been all over the place, I know. But if you can take that and just do one thing with it and say, God's looking at your heart. He's not looking at all the other stuff. Then you'll get free from the methods. I'm not trying to give you methods. I'm just going after your heart. And I'm saying when it comes to finances, we have to get the heart of God on this thing. We have to stay soft and yielded. And I, I just want to challenge one more thing and just say, look at your life where maybe you're using money as a way to hide. Money is often one of the first places you will, you will behave in your relationship to money in a certain way to cover and protect yourself because you're refusing to confront what's actually going on in your heart. It's a heart matter. Can you feel it? I touch the money button, everyone goes, <clears throat> he's after your heart, he loves your heart. And for all the um, critics, maybe not in this room because there's none here, but the ones that are going to listen on Spotify and then send me emails. I just want to say this. If Jesus cannot provide for this house through his people, it's fold up and close, it's fine. There's a lot of people that need to know about Jesus. I'll go preach to them. Right? I, I, I'm speaking today from such a free place because I'm, I'm really not after your money. Uh, my confidence is in Jesus. If he wants this house to exist, he'll take care of this house, which means he will move on your hearts. And if he doesn't move on your hearts, let's fold up. We're not meant to be here. I'll go somewhere else. There's 3.2 billion people who don't know about Jesus. I'm ready. But as long as we're here and as long as these doors are open, we're going to preach the truth, preach the gospel, to see every heart touched, saved, transformed, and healed and delivered. And then guess what we're going to do? We're going to train and send into our city, into South Africa, and to the ends of the earth. Until the Great Commission is fulfilled, we're going to partner with Jesus. He's going to have His church, a bride for His glory. We're going to see the kingdom come. He's actually coming back for a victorious, beautiful bride. And this is how I live my life with finances. <laughs> you get it. Amen. So we have, we've seen the hand of the Lord on this house. I mean, just to be in this venue, like just the way God provided for it. And, and we've, we've sent teams over the last couple of years into the, the Middle East and into these dangerous places. And we've, we've been able to finance our teams and send them in. And, and we're only starting, like we're just getting started. We're about to, in February, we're going to send three teams, over 30 people into the nations. Come on. And I believe the Lord's actually stirring something in this house for, for fundraising for the Great Commission. We've got some things we want to do next year to actually begin to really, really not just send uh, small teams, but actually have long-term missionaries in the Middle East, planting churches, training leaders, partnering with uh, prayer rooms and, and doing evangelism, all of that stuff. And so the Lord's actually given us like targets in my heart and stirred things in my heart about what to expect for next year. And I'm, gonna, I'm just going to be bold and, and brave and just say, like, I have it in my heart to raise half a million just for missions next year. That's separate to all the, the other stuff that we do. Just, like, why not? Like, why not just say, Jesus, we're going to trust you for half a million so we can actually make a serious dent on unreached regions and... and 
So why don't you start to dream like this for your own life? Say, God, I want my life to be a life of impact for the Great Commission and for the kingdom. What does that look like? What's going to matter to me? I love this saying, Dan Moller says it all the time. He says, don't let something matter most. Don't let something matter more that doesn't matter most. Don't let something matter more that doesn't matter most. What are you going to anchor yourself in? You with me? Okay, so scriptures I want you to read because I'm so out of time. Uh, Hebrews 7, 5 to 11. Genesis 14. Romans 15. Philippians 4. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. This is everything I've been saying today. This is where you're going to go find it. Mark 12. Matthew 6. We'll stop there. If you've been taking notes. All right. Jesus, I asked this morning that you take a very practical word and make it supernatural in our hearts. I ask that you would lead us as your people, as your church. And Holy Spirit, I ask if there's anything I've said this morning that's not in your heart, let it be forgotten. But Jesus, that which is you, that which is truth, I thank you that it would cut to our inner man, right into our inner being, and bring life and transformation and fruit. Holy Spirit, I thank you that whatever you're asking us to let go of right now, in the Spirit we let go of. And we just take a hold of you. And we will not allow the things of this world, the perspective of this world, to shape our lives and our response to you. We want to live under the leadership and the lordship of Jesus. And we want to be worshipers, priests unto you following you. Thank you that grace births it, grace sustains it, and grace finishes it. It's only by your grace, and so we live in the all-sufficiency of Jesus. Father, take this message. Thank you, God, that you would turn it into much fruit, that we would, as a people and as a house, bear much fruit to see the gospel advance in our city, in our country, and to the ends of the earth. This is just the beginning. Thank you for your provision. Thank you for the blessing of God of this house. I just thank you that every person right now would know that they are blessed as a son and daughter. God, change people's expectations in this room. Thank you that they would understand, Lord Jesus, that they're completely given to you. They're not called to own anything. They're called to steward it, which sets their hearts free. And I thank you that you're going to do amazing miracle signs and wonders through us as a house, even in the area of finances. And so God, where it's a, a topic that really touches our heart, we, we surrender to you. We come in humility and we just say, God, make a holy example out of us, we pray, as your church. We love you. We worship you. We honor you. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for your church, God. I really love these people deeply. I know you love them so much. This is your house, God. And so would you just clothe us in your love, wrap us in your love, Protect us, Holy Spirit, even our thoughts, our emotions, and our minds. We love you, we bless you, and we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Guys, I know I went a little bit over. Thank you so much for just listening and being here. You guys are beautiful. You're amazing. Have an awesome, awesome afternoon. We'll see you in home groups in the week. We'll see you next weekend. You guys are the best. Love you lots. Also, side thing I wanted to say this. I don't know if you saw, but my shirt has the uh, Hatfield Square from Pretoria. So let's plant a church in Pretoria. Just saying. Love you lots, guys. Cheers.